getting to the truth in this art. I am your host, Rob Lee. See, I like to do that with, with seasoning on it. Uh, my next guest is restaurant critic emeritus and <laughs> facilities like manager at the uh, at Big Improv, the Big Theater. Please welcome Richard Gorelick. Thank you. I'm so happy to be with you. We, I, I saw you every Friday night for a solid two years using uh, the podcast studio here at Baltimore Improv Group at the Big Theater. And we just struck up a, maybe friendship's too strong of a word, but uh, definitely a cordial, friendly relationship. <laughs> and we're fan, I, I'm totally a fan of yours. Well, thank you. I'm a fan of yours as well. Thank you, you. You helped us for our 10th anniversary show. And you've always been just really great to work with here. So this is Inside Baseball, by the way, but thank you <laughs> for being on this podcast. Um, so for, for those who are undipped, and as we talked a little bit um, before we got started with some, some of your background, mm -hmm. that people know know who you are a little bit. If, yeah, if people in Baltimore know who I am, they remember me when I was the restaurant critic at the Baltimore Sun from about 2010 to 2015. And before then, I wrote about restaurants for the city paper for about maybe five or six years. So publications of note, mostly the, the city paper. No shade, no, no, no shots. So... Rewinding, um, give us those vital stats. Um, your, your background with the creative scene, food and beverage scene, you, you touched on, and you're you're a son of Baltimore, right? Sure, Baltimore County. Grew up in first Lockhearn and then Pikesville, and then uh, came back to Baltimore right after college in Pittsburgh at Carnegie Mellon, and worked pretty quickly for uh, cultural institutions like the Walters Art Museum, the what was used to be called the Maryland Historical Society, and. Uh, working in the press office and media for there. So that's why I formed relationships with people working for the city paper yeah. first. And they liked me because I would send them press releases. And this is so long ago that when I say I sent them a press release, it came in an envelope. We had to fold up the press release and put it in an envelope and use bulk mail. And they'd get it. And it will be a press release about some, some lecture or some event that the Walters Art Gallery or Museum, and I would have scrawled on the top of it, you don't have to worry about this, <laughs> or don't worry about this, this is a joke. Um, and they like got to like me. So that's how they got to know me. And then when I left the Walters, I started writing for them very occasionally, mm -hmm. maybe a very occasional movie review um, or theater review. Then eventually the restaurant, weekly restaurant, review came open, that freelance position at the city paper. Mm -hmm. I applied for it, didn't get it, and then it came up again a few years later, and I applied for it and got it. So my entry into writing about restaurants was not through food, but through writing. Yeah. So I used to tell people that when I spoke to like women's groups, I would do that occasionally, yeah. and there always would be one woman in the woman's group audience who would be outraged by that. She'd be like, I don't understand. I don't understand how you can write about food and not be have a food background. Because I also had to admit that I wasn't a chef yeah. and was not immersed in food culture before I started writing about restaurants. And eventually my explanation would be, I'm a restaurant critic and not a food critic. So I'm writing about a restaurant and everything that happens at that restaurant which, of course, includes food. Yeah. Food is important, but it also includes 
the word ambiance and service and the how scene, you the vibe the scene and how you feel when you go there and how you feel when you leave and all of it. So the best advice I ever got about writing about restaurant reviews was from a former restaurant critic, the guy who did it at the Baltimore Sun for years, John Dorsey, who mm-hmm. then became an art critic. He said, the best you can do is try to describe for people what it was like at that particular restaurant on that particular night. Yeah. And yeah. that's how I always treated it. The other thing I always tried to do was how does this particular restaurant set expectations and does it meet them? And that helped me write about mom and pop places yeah. as well as four-star steakhouses because you have different expectations going to a steakhouse than you do a diner. Yeah, absolutely. So I would imagine like being in that restaurant critic place space, you, you go to a restaurant and if once once someone has a certain reputation, it's like, oh, you're the you're the, you're the person. And restaurants will go through great leaps and bounds just to make sure you're having a good time. Here's a pillow. Here's some peeled grapes, sir. Uh, do you wear disguises? Did you wear disguises back in the day? That's the best to get there? question. That's the best question, and also a frequent question. If I ever wrote a memoir, the title would be "Do they know it's you?" That would be the title. Do they know it's you? They're not supposed to. Um, things have changed a lot. Since I started, and even in 2010, things were starting, we were at least starting to question the idea of anonymity with restaurant reviews. Mm -hmm. Traditionally, they were always supposed to be anonymous with the uh, understanding that you'd want to get um, a review from someone who was treated just like you were when they walked in. Um, Otherwise, the staff might give that person, the critic, preferential treatment or treat them better. As it worked out, I'd say I was known or identified maybe one out of five times at the most. Yeah. Maybe it was more like one out of ten times. When they did notice me, I didn't always know. Yeah. People at my table, the three people that I always brought it wasn't the same three people, but I always brought three or four other people with me. Because yeah. you want to try not just one dish, you want to try four different entrees and four different appetizers, four different desserts. Uh, someone at my table would say, oh, they definitely know what you They <laughs> definitely know what you And I'm like, oh, they're just kind of being nice. Yeah. And uh, maybe they're being nice because I'm nice. And, yeah. you know, that was usually the advice I got, gave people for how do you get good service in restaurants was be nice. And when the waiter comes over, look up from your menu and make eye contact with the waitress or the waiter. and. Yeah. Usually nice people get nice service. Not always, of course. But uh, some of the table was always, they know it's you. They definitely know it's you. It could also rob backfire if they did know it was me because they would act foolish and <laughs> do things or maybe send the chef out to talk to me and they would blow it. So I tried always to look around. That was one thing we always did at the table. We always stopped and said, look around, look mm-hmm. around. Are people having a good time? Are people, are the, are the customers, diners comfortable yeah. or are they panicking? Are they looking around like, where's my waiter? What's going to happen next? That was the best indication. Uh, that was sort of a leveler. Like maybe we were getting mm-hmm. overly good service, but other people were, you know, wildly waving their hands to get service. So. I tried to be aware of that issue, like, was I getting better service than other people? 
they did know me. They definitely yeah. know me. And now in the era of <laughs> Instagram influencers where they come right in and say, it's me, I'm here. Like, make where's, where's my comp table? <laughs> where's my comp table? Like, all bets are off. And there's not even a restaurant critic at the Baltimore Sun anymore. No one's doing restaurant reviews. And I think that's going to start happening at weekly newspapers more and more. They just can't afford it. The newspapers. One one of the things I encounter of learning that I have a reputation of being a food critic, like a novice food critic. Like I've had a few chefs that I know. One is moving to this block, and <laughs> and he was like, he did a dinner from me. He's like, this is for Rob. I gotta make sure it's good. And I was uh, like, huh, I have, I have a reputation. No, <laughs> it's good. And um, oh, it. I don't know. I think of myself as a pretty self-effacing, and I'm not. Un, very unscary yeah. as far as a but I made people nervous I know I did I know <laughs> I know and I get it yeah. I get it but the weird thing was going to private homes or friends homes and they were like we really we're real I was worried about this I was worried about cooking for you and I don't care you're inviting me into your home anything yeah. you give me is going to be great and I, and I think that's the separation of like this is an experience. This is this is a community kind of. This is separate from going there and like. I what you were describing earlier, as far as maybe going there and really look, going to a restaurant and really looking at everything holistically. That's the way I kind of review movies because I'm well watch movies because I'm reviewing movies, right? So if I'm watching a movie, it's like is this for enjoyment or am I looking at every component of oh, it? Oh, it's. I'm so glad you brought that up. That was always the biggest challenge for me, and. I love that comparison to movies. Am I watching it for visceral, joyful enjoyment, or am I watching it critically every moment? It was so hard. I never quite got it. So hard to be in the critic's seat at the table and still try to have a good time mm -hmm. with the people at the table because that's really important to have a good time. Yeah. And how can you have a good time when you're making constant mental notes and constant adjustments with food. I found it to be so challenging that after five years, I never quite got the hang of it. Mm. Um, because if you're also, it was the awkwardness of I need to taste, I did need to taste everything at the table, all four entrees and all four appetizers. Yeah. How physically are we doing that? <laughs> are we rotating tables around the table? Yeah. It's my turn. Are you sending your little plate over to me? In the early days, people would sort of take a little tiny fork, a little tiny knife, <laughs> cut me up a little tiny bit, and try, yeah. to, try to pass it over to me. And like, that doesn't work at all. I need to have this plate in front of me to see how it's all working. Uh, when I say that it was challenging, I don't know how, I don't know other people did it. And the other thing was that the Baltimore Sun only paid for me to go one time to ah. a restaurant. So it wasn't like I got to go three times and think, like the New York Times does, and like, well, two times they were rocking, one time they weren't. Mm -hmm. Let's all even it out. Uh, it was really hard to distill a review from one visit. Because there, there's a degree of finality with that. And even if you go there, like one of the places that I like, because I'm not going to name places, that's so gauche, but <laughs> I, I like to go down to this spot in Little Italy, Italy and uh, they have uh, this, this dish that's a fall dish. And so you can get it in the summer. So if I wanted to, and it's like my favorite dish in the menu, by the way. So 
if I'm going there, let's say in the summer, and this dish is only in the fall, that's going to really color how I review that or how I feel about it because I didn't get the thing that I For wanted. For sure. And the other thing was this debate kept happening yeah. because when I got to the sun, I think the rule was let's wait three months before we do the review after the restaurant opens. We'll give them three months mm -hmm. because all restaurants make adjustments. They figure out what's working and not working. Then with the advent of... Yelp and <laughs> yeah. other things like that, like non-professional reviews, they were just way ahead of us. So people were finding out information they needed. Readers and diners were getting information from places that went on the first night that a restaurant was open. So we were sort of falling behind and we knew it, yet we wanted to keep some kind of standards. That was a constant push and shove about how we're going to handle that. I immediately thought of the Moody Foodie from Bob's Burgers. It was like, oh, he's coming. Uh, make sure <laughs> restaurants have closed, you know. <laughs> um, I was, I think, a very, very kind restaurant critic, yeah. always trying to sort of look for reasons why things might not have gone well. Yeah. There were very few times where I sort of was angry mm -hmm. at a review. If a restaurant was so pathetic that they were going to get a very bad review— we just wouldn't do a review. That's legit. Because uh, you, you don't want to pile on, you know? It's just like, I think you guys know, you know? <laughs> Look, the stakes are different in Baltimore than New York. We had very, very few multi-million dollar restaurants that were backed by like uh, hedge funds or conglomerates. It just yeah. was not a Baltimore thing. More, maybe more recently there were, mm -hmm. but almost always there were, it was someone's business. It was someone's business, and you don't want to... I didn't want to personally attack someone's business. The flip side of that was that by not being too critically harsh, mm -hmm. it it's important to have critical standards for a city. Yes. Because uh, you want to raise up excellence and recognize excellence. But if you pull punches, and I admit to it, I did sometimes, yeah. then you get a reputation for not being... Purely critical. I so think, that was a trade-off. I think that's really, really big and really important here because I think Baltimore and really, if you go back through some of the episodes in here, people talk about authenticity. It's that's that's the the that's the currency here. So if it's like, yeah, that 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 review is phony or that review is kind of lacking in these particular areas. So having that that true criticism there, and it's like, all right, this might be a little mean, but I think sometimes it could feel biased if someone is too fluffy or too mean. It's like, it's got to be somewhere in the middle. Those it extremes. was hard. It was hard. I freely admit that it was a challenge, mm -hmm. but if you get a reputation, if I got a reputation as, as a soft critic, then how do I show the reader that I'm thrilled about someplace? I think I did that okay. Sure. I think when I was in love with a restaurant that I was able to convey that. And that was... You know, that happened maybe once a year where a place just was, oh, okay, this place. Everyone's got to come to this place. So go, going – so with your your knowledge and, and being critical of the whole gamut, right? Yeah. What are your do's and do nots within a restaurant? Like I know some people are like, I'm not ordering that on a Wednesday or like you should never go here. The oh. staff is trash this night. Like what what is that I've, situation for you? Like, I think a lot of that comes from Anthony Bourdain. 
I think he was the first person, or not the first person. I may have been reading that recently. (laughs) I think he made a lot of those insights, almost universal knowledge, that I'm not even sure is true anymore. Ah. Uh, Like uh, fish deliveries, like never get the fish on a Monday or Tuesday. It's hard for me to believe that the fish delivery system is the same today as it was 30 years ago when he wrote Kitchen Confidential. That can't be. Maybe it is. Maybe it's still exactly the same, but how could it be? And you had the proximity to certain things. So, like, if we're here and we're known for seafood, then it has to be, based on proximity, a, you, a, a different pipeline. You would think, but then so—I would st- still think so little seafood that's served in Baltimore restaurants comes from this area. I think mm-hmm. a lot of it's imported. Sometimes restaurants promote and are proud of the idea that they import their seafood from— Europe, uh, like the black olive used to be really proud of that. And what's the one uh, that'll come to me later? Um, But any, oh, back to your question about do's and don'ts. Honestly, I think all bets are off. People are so knowledgeable about restaurants. The only thing I would hope people don't do is try to put, I don't like diners that go in with the attitude of trying to put anything over on a restaurant or trying to gain an advantage on a restaurant, that to me is just distasteful and uh, just no way to live your life. It's not fair play. (laughs) It's not fair play. I just don't like, I just don't like it. I don't like it in restaurants. I don't like it in a theater. Mm -hmm. I've been watching way too many Karen TikToks, because <laughs> I watch them to the finish, and now they, I just, they just send me Karen TikToks. But people like, <laughs> like professional complainers or professional. Uh, I remember one time I had a friend. This one was at City Paper who was always looking for people to come with me and eat, and it was usually we they got a free meal. He said, uh, "This is my friend of mine. I want to invite my friend Becky. Becky loved to talk about Becky." Always sends things back. She always sends things back. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, she can't come. <laughs> no. She can't come with us. That's terrible. How could you always send things back? And things are awful. Of course you should speak up for yourself. Yeah. Of course you should. But sometimes it's just it's not a marriage of your taste to that dish and you move on. Back to the thing I said before about going in with a kind attitude and a civil attitude yeah. that works nine out of 10 times. Go, it, it's, it's like one of these examples I've seen where I, I just remember someone went to a, um, an artisanal donut place, a donut shop and <laughs> just attitude, just like you're here to buy $40 worth of donuts and you're screaming at someone like sweet treats are for smiles, not for anger. So if, if you're going to a place, going to your, your, your point, I think, if you're going to a place, go there like you plan to enjoy it, not like, I have a stick up my ass and I'm going to make sure everyone knows it. Absolutely. And, you know, money is hard to come by by a lot of people. A dinner out should be special. Mm-hmm. And, um, but almost always, if you go in with the right attitude, you're going to get something decent. It might not be the best meal you ever got. It should be one of the best meals you ever got if you're spending $40 an entree. Yeah, it yeah. should be. And you have the right to have high expectations. But that shouldn't translate to 
your corner diner. So were you an adventurous eater before getting into this this restaurant review space? I think yes, but not. um, There's a restaurant critic now deceased, Jonathan Gold, in Los Angeles. He wrote for the Los Angeles Times. So there's a documentary made about him maybe eight years ago. I don't have the name right now, but if you Google Jonathan Gold, he was that guy, I think originally in New York and then moved to Los Angeles, who showed his readers, you know, if you go behind the Amico station on Queens Boulevard and knock on the door and three times, then you'll get the best tripe soup in the New York metropolitan area. I thought you were going in a very different direction initially. <laughs> no. It's like, that's what so, they call it there? <laughs> I admired him so much, but I wasn't that kind of adventurous yeah. eater. But um, definitely omnivorous, definitely uh, someone who would eat almost anything, but not, definitely not a pepperhead. Not, <gasps> oh, not. No, really? No. Not competitively hot food or not. No. I mean, I like spicy food, but I don't like to, I don't like pain. Yeah. At all. <laughs> I, I, I like to, like, I, I had a really elegant experience. I, I, I went into the experience believing it was going to be elegant. Even when, I think I ruined a sweater at this night. Uh, I had an escargot for the first time. And, like, I was trying to, like, use a little fork to get the, the guy yeah, out. And, and then the shell hit me in the tit. And I was like, oh, so to the floor. <laughs> I was like, this is not going to color my evening. This ruined shirt and this butter, it's not going to ruin my evening. But that was, like... I feel like the place was a French place. So it's like, I want something that feels like it's on brand with what this place is supposed to do. So if they're presenting themselves as French, then let's try this. Great attitude and great way to approach a restaurant. Approach a restaurant as they present themselves. Goes back to an earlier point. What does this restaurant say about itself? And is it living up to it? And service obviously factors into that. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of weird my one weird service thing is how I'm greeted, mm. especially at a bar. If it's a neighborhood dive bar and the bartender doesn't really make eye contact, contact and says, do you want anything? I'm fine with that. Yeah. If I'm going to a four-star steakhouse, let's yeah. say, and I sit at the bar and everyone's dressed up at this bar and I'm telling you, I want a sir. I want good evening, sir. <laughs> I want good evening, sir. How are you? And what can I get for you? Or I want that. And if I don't get it, I get really sulky. I get so sulky over that stupid little thing, yeah. but it, t- it makes a difference. I only want to go to bars that have the black bartender that has the Carnival Barker voice. Like, what do you have, Mac? Like, <laughs> sure, I didn't know that was my name. Sure. Uh, Hennessy, I'm sure you have it. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that I'm a man of the people and I can do both. I can do both, but I want that bartender in the right, I want each bartender in the right place. Yeah. Yeah, fit, fit, fit what you're, you're, you're doing or have you and um, yeah, like don't, don't try to sell me something I don't want. I, I've had instances where I'll just go and get something that's close to a Moscow mule or something like that. And it's like, oh, I have like Coke and Hennessy. I was like, that's neither of what I was in that drink. So like, can, we, can we sort this? Maybe you don't work here. <laughs> I was uh, not a baby about service at all, yeah. except for that moment when I'm greeted either by the 
hostess. And you know what, like, freaks people out? Like, this very specific thing that freaks diners out. If they made a reservation and mm. the host or hostess doesn't acknowledge it mm. or says, yeah, I'll just take you. We'll sit right down. Like, well, wait a minute. I yeah. made a reservation. And so a good host will say, I just want to check to see if you made a reservation. Yeah. and Because you need to honor that moment of entrance. Entrance is a very important thing. It, it starts off that situation. And I think there's a – sometimes there's a note in there, like, you know, going back to it, like – going out for dinner or it's, sometimes it's an engagement. So it's like, this might be an anniversary dinner. This might be a birthday. So that's a note that's on there. It may say, hey, greet us with, you know, crowns when we come here. Oh, man. We all want to be recognized and seen, seen <laughs> yeah. and appreciated. Both sides. Both sides need to be recognized. Recognition is so important to people. And the recognition at... Um, What's a new place? That Kay's place on 25th Street might be. Yeah. You again? Oh, you were just here. All right. Come on in. That's fine. And recognition at, again, this myth- mythical four-star restaurant I keep talking about is should be different. Um, and then everything else follows from that moment, usually follows, should follow from that moment. Depending on the region I'm in, I have different aliases. So it's like, make sure you get the alias right. If I'm in West Baltimore, it's like, oh, hey, Lorenzo, thank you, thank you. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, South Baltimore, it's like, oh, wave, daddy, you're here. It's like, oh, thank you, my, my table's ready. Great. I like that you have aliases. Got to be on point. I'm becoming famous. Uh, so let's see. I believe that Baltimore's food is in the conversation with larger cities that have, like, that reputation of in a New York, in a DC, um, and um, in, in maybe, maybe Philadelphia, maybe LA. Um, but there, that's up for debate. Where do you kind of view like Baltimore's food? Is it within that conversation? Is it outside of that conversation? Where does it rank for you? I feel it's out of that conversation, but okay. I feel that that's okay. I feel that um, it doesn't need to be in that conversation. I think a rising tide lifts all ships, and I don't think there's the critical mass of excellent restaurants in Baltimore that make that conversation worthwhile. I don't think people go out for the same reasons they do in Baltimore that they do in Chicago or New York. Um, but it's so confusing to have the conversation because COVID kind of mm-hmm. stopped the conversation. And now we're all worried about the restaurant industry. And I hear that every, a lot of people love uh, Woodbury Kitchen, but they don't have table service right now. You go up to the bar and order. Mm-hmm. That's Different, is that going to be long-term or permanent? Um, and how much does that change the dining experience? I've not in the – I love sushi, right? And I usually go to – I'm going to name drop this place. I usually go to Yama, and uh, it's just more sushi coming my way. They recognize me. It's more rolls coming. I was like, oh, it's the big guy to sushi. Here's, here's more stuff. So I have not had sushi in probably a year and a half or maybe two at this point. Because it's a going-in experience. It's a sitting-at-the-table experience. If I yeah. have delivered sushi, ah, I'm not happy. So let's pretend that we're going to repeat this episode two years from now. Oh, no. And it's 2023, and it suddenly makes no sense. So people think, oh, COVID, I forgot all about that thing. That was weird, wasn't it? It's a terrible reboot coming. So, oh, my gosh, then <laughs> I think we could be part of that conversation. It was weird. I had to report on the restaurant industry as well as 
review. So yeah. I was a reporter. I feel like I spent way too much time talking about which chef moved to which restaurant. Mm-hmm. And I think, why did, a, why did I think the reader cared about that? Did they care about chef stuff the way they do in New York or Los Angeles, Chicago, where it was like, that is big news if that chef is moving. I don't think, looking back on that, I wonder if I spent way too much time reporting on that kind of thing. I think we care about, is the food good? Ultimately, that's the root of it. Is the food good? Uh, Are they, I think Baltimore cares a lot about how people are treated Yes. When they go to a place and whether they're respected. And uh, I think Baltimoreans are very sensitive about that. And they don't, they don't feel treasured and valued. Also, if they see other people around them being valued more than they are, mm-hmm. that sets Baltimoreans off. Maybe it sets everyone everywhere off. But it seems like it sets Baltimoreans off big time. I'm like, how come I didn't get... How come the host didn't come over and talk to me? Or how come the owner didn't come over and talk to me? I think it's a big Baltimore thing. So that's why I'm so angry all the time. Thanks, ah. thanks, thanks for breaking <laughs> me down so quickly. Uh, so, so speak to me about um, other creative interests. Because like, I've been inundating you with the food and restaurant-oriented questions. But let's talk about your other creative interests and, notably, where we're at right now. You know, Baltimore Improv Group. Uh, again, let's pretend that it's 2023. We're I, back. I'm a pitch man. Jeez. We have shows every <laughs> night. We have classes all the time, and we have shows seven days a week. And that's not true. It's 2021, <laughs> and there's a show going on right now, but it's for only kind of a select small list of people that knew about it. It was so much fun. You were here every Friday night. Again, we're doing some sausage making inside baseball, yeah. but you were sort of on the periphery of watching people come into this theater space in Station North, right down the street from the Charles Theater, coming in every night of the week. You only saw Fridays to um, both perform, to mm-hmm. be part of the performing community, and to support the performing community. All the shows were free. It was very exciting to be part of it and to see people supporting each other. Um, then, frankly, two things happened to the Baltimore Improv Group. Because uh, we have to be honest about things. Um, COVID happened, and then there were some internal um, bad feelings that surfaced. Yeah. And so I can't talk about that. I, I just yeah. I don't want to. I don't think I can. I just don't want to. And um, But we have a new managing director who you've met. And what I tell people is that if anyone can bring uh, big back... Uh, and restore it to something not only like it was, but better and more community-minded, it's Thomas Dostry. So please keep your eyes on Big. Um, I liked learning how to do improv, and I was just talking about this the other day, never got good at it, because you can't be in your head when you're doing improv. You've got to learn it all and then not be in your head I was always in my head. I was always trying to think of what can I do that's funny in the next 30 seconds <laughs> that is setting yourself up for failure in improv. Yeah. It's so hard. It's so hard to do it Do it well. I was in awe of people that did it well. And we all have our favorite, you know, sketch comedians that you, a lot of them started in improv. And just to watch them is magic. Yeah. But also watching people learn and getting confidence 
when we take improv classes, you always go around and say why you're there. And some people were like, I love comedy. I want to do comedy and I want to be funny. But then there were two or three people in the class who were like, my work told me to come here because I can't really talk in front of people. And at meetings, it's very, it's very it's a struggle for me. And they suggested. And watching those people blossom and flourish and get confident, there was a lot of imp- applied, uh, applied benefits for improv. So I loved being part of this little performing community, and I hope to be able to do it again. Thank you for sharing that, because uh, it's definitely a welcoming place, and it's uh, this is this is where I recorded. You c- come down, see me, see see everyone is doing their great work yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I look at this as the the actual home of my podcast endeavors publicly, outside of me recording at the Secret Hideout. It's been our pleasure. It was one of the best meetings we've had with uh, the community, and we actually. Uh, consciously decided to have a podcast studio to meet people like you. That's wonderful. Um, so I want to wrap this up with these last questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, these are my rapid fire questions. I like them. So rapid fire, the way that it works is um, I'll ask you some questions. You don't need to provide any context. They're just the answers. What the answer is, I said what I said. Okay. Uh, most adventurous thing you've eaten. Oh, Darn. Uh, brains. Okay. You want to put a pen in that one? Yeah. All right. All right, Hannibal. All right, Hannibal. Uh, favorite uh, dish or meal? I, I think framing that is lunch, breakfast, brunch. What? What is, where do you oh, kind of get off? Oh, man. Um, breakfast. Breakfast. Definitely breakfast. And actually, I love hotel breakfast buffets. They don't even have to be good. I just love Staying in a hotel and going down to the breakfast in the old days again and having like, I want everything. I want sausage. I want pancakes. I don't even care if they're like warmed over, been sitting there. I like to load my plate up. I used to dream of this place in Pittsburgh called, oh, this is rapid fire. Called, <laughs> no, go ahead. Called the Grand Concourse when I was in school in Pittsburgh. It was, I forget what that complex was called. Uh, and, you know, we were all poor. But I wanted someone's dad to come visit their kid who was a friend of mine. And, like, we're all going to the Grand Concourse. The idea of a brunch buffet, I love that. Um, <laughs> next, next question. Chocolate pudding or creme brulee? Chocolate pudding. Super salad. Soup. Any particular soup? Because now I'm interested in that one. Yeah, I would say I love a good seafood uh, crab soup. Okay. Cream of crab soup. Cream of crab same, soup. Same, same, same. Lastly, tell me a joke. You're on the spot. You got to put on the spot right there. Oh, shoot. Um, I just told a joke. Uh, what did the baby man? Oh, no. The only joke I have, I can't tell. Oh, no. And, oh, shoot. Uh, all right, let's, let's, have, let's have a different one. Let's have a different thing. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what else, what else we have there. No, here it is. Uh, which restaurant would you want to bring back? 
If you could bring back a restaurant, which one would it be? Louis Bookstore Cafe. It might be before some of your time out there. It was in Mount Vernon on uh, Charles Street, just south of Center. And you'd go in there, there'd be a bookstore up front, and in the back there'd be the restaurant, there'd be live music usually from Peabody students. And it was famous for its bad service <laughs> because the servers would be from Peabody. But the truth was it really wasn't that bad. But it was just like a joke, you know, a joke becomes reality. Yeah. Sometimes it was bad, but usually it was good. Uh, and then you would walk back into the back of the restaurant and look at the dessert case. Yeah. And it would be just desserts and desserts and desserts. And there was a white chocolate pound cake that became one of my first dessert crushes. <laughs> oh, I could still think about it. And it was so upbeat and lively. And it was open also late. Not like 3 a.m. late, but it was open after a show at Center Stage. You'd go there. It was open after dinner. Like, oh, are you still hungry? Yeah, I want dessert. Let's go to Louis. <laughs> and when I say everybody went there, it was like that kind of place where everybody went there. And you'd see your friends, but you'd also see, like, I think that person's on television. And it was, it's, it was an e that's an easy question. Louis Bookstore Cafe is what I bring back. Well, there you go. That's it. That's all I got. Um, so I want to like uh, invite you to tell the fine folks to where to check you out online um, and check out the website for uh, Big. So please, share, share, share away. Oh, man. I would like it if you followed me on Instagram. And my Instagram account is good, Like finger looking good, but gore licking good. And usually what I'm putting on Instagram are... Duplex houses, <laughs> also known as semi-detached houses. For some reason, I'm fascinated by them because I was in New Orleans. And if you see duplexes or semi-detached, then every time you see one, the left side is exactly like the right side. I don't know if there's some law or some <laughs> governance about that. In yeah. Baltimore, sometimes left is like the right, but sometimes it's like left hates right. Or left, <laughs> left is blue and right is pink, but left is shingled and right is brick. We hate you. And I love that. I like agree to disagree houses. And I like finding like the one or two duplex houses in a neighborhood without them because they're like, what's this doing here? So that's what I'm doing on Instagram right now. On, I don't want you to follow me on Twitter because I, <laughs> I follow really nasty things. Oh, wow. So, wow. <laughs> uh, it's like I follow kind of conservative things. Oh, no. I know because I like Kate follow them, but then I'm like, I don't know. This guy's talking sense. So <laughs> I might, I don't know what's happening. So you yeah, don't look at me on Twitter. <laughs> um, and then Facebook's just for family. So that's what's happening with you right now. All right. Um, so thank you again for coming on to the podcast. And for Richard Gorelick, I am Rob Lee saying that there is art in and around Baltimore. You just got to look for it. Music